Good afternoon. I'm Ian Vasquez. I direct the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity at the Cato Institute. Uh, the rise of China in the past 35 years has been one of the most consequential events of our time. Uh, economic reforms have completely transformed Chinese society, and uh, obviously the, the, they're responsible for producing the high growth rates, about 9 or 10 percent uh, per year for decades, and for pulling hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, something which has been unprecedented in world history. And China's rise, of course, has also uh, reshaped global trade and global politics, mostly to the benefit of billions of other people around the world. But growth in recent years has slowed uh, markedly to between 6 and 7 percent, figures that independent analysts believe are uh, very overestimated, uh, maybe by a couple of percentage points. So the slowdown in China has renewed the debate about uh, China's development model, and it's led to a, a, a resurgence of, of questions about its economic reform experience. Is China headed, finally, as so many have long predicted, uh, toward an economic crisis because of unreformed sectors, including the banking sector, and because of, uh, uh, because of uncontrolled state-directed spending? Or has it shielded itself from those things because of its massive buildup of reserves and its controls on capital? Will its economic uh, management be deft enough not just to avoid a crisis, but to avoid a slowdown that will then in turn cause uh, instability and social unrest? Indeed, what, are the, what is the future of liberalization in China? With greater economic reform, there's economic uh, freedom, there's no question that China today is uh, a much freer place. The Chinese are much freer than when those reforms began. But China's starting point was, of course, from a very repressed economy. And though it introduced far-reaching changes, it's still largely an unfree economy. In the Fraser Institute's Index of Economic Freedom, it ranks 113 out of 159 countries. And in terms of overall freedoms, China ranks 132 on our own Human Freedom Index. China is still an unfree country, and the direction it takes on uh, giving its own citizens freedoms is surely the most fundamental issue facing the country today. The signs are not particularly, particularly promising. Although Beijing has promised to introduce uh, reforms in the financial sector and other areas, this has been accompanied by a crackdown on independent thinkers and scholars and on free speech uh, generally. President Xi Jinping has warned against the evils of Western ideas, and academics, lawyers, uh, journalists, uh, artists, and others who have advocated for basic rights are, have been jailed and otherwise been prosecuted. Can China continue to develop if it restricts rather than expands these human freedoms? I'm delighted to be able to host today this panel with I think two of the most insightful uh, Chinese economists who have been doing a lot of thinking actually about the role of ideas in economic development. China has come a long way with economic liberalization, but the free flow of ideas, that is the, the free market uh, for ideas, may now become critical at this stage of China's development. And I can, can think of no better uh, speakers than Wei Yinjiang and Ning Wang 
to explain why China's free market in goods and services needs to be complemented by a free market in ideas if it is to become prosperous. So let me begin then by introducing our, our first speaker, uh, Wei Ying Sang, who is a professor of economics at uh, Peking University. He is very well known in China for being one of the most uh, forceful advocates of the market economy, and he has been an influential uh, economist involved in actual reforms beginning in the early to mid uh, 1980s when he advocated the dual price uh, system uh, reform, which led to price liberalization there and changed the Chinese economy. He's been uh, very much involved in policy reform since then. He co-founded the China Center for Economic Research, which is a think tank at Peking University that is world uh, renowned. Uh, he's the author of nine books, including this one, The Logic of the Market, which was published by the Cato Institute. Please help me welcome Wei Ying Zhang. Uh, thank you for your invitation. Uh, it's my honor to be here a second time. Uh, this, uh, this time I will talk something about the uh, market for ideas in China. As you, uh, in, you asked me to talk about this. <laughs> I think that uh, now is really a time to think about this, is how important the market for ideas is in uh, 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 today's China. You know, liberals differ uh, in many uh, uh, other aspects, but all share that uh, idea matters. You know, from Mises, Hayek, and to uh, other people uh, for a long time, they point that is uh, 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 people's behavior, and not just uh, driven by uh, self-interest, also uh, driven by ideas. And uh, this is, uh, I think, very, very important because for uh, economics, we always think interest is the most important. We almost uh, ex exclusively focus on uh, the interest. When we talk about reform, we always think reform is a game of uh, different interest group. And uh, some vested interest uh, who may uh, make laws during this uh, transition, and others will get benefit from this uh, reform. The result of uh, reform must depend uh, uh, on this game. And uh, uh, if you look at China, uh, you know, actually planning economy is a result of idea. That's because people believed that the planned economy is better than market. So that was implemented. Now also, I think very important is uh, uh, idea is, you know, is uh, determining what kind of interest people think they have. Uh, so it's actually interest uh, what we uh, uh, think that is uh, perceived interest. So when Communist Party won revolution, they're not because some uh, 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 thing, uh, uh, according to traditional economics, that is a, a win of interest. But it's actually a win of ideas. That is a Marxism win other ideas. And, and uh, those uh, workers and peasants, they were told their interest conflict with uh, those uh, 
uh, uh, uh, like uh, entrepreneurs and the landlord. So they followed the Communist Party through the revolution. But the result was, uh, you know, totally opposite. They didn't really benefit from this revolution. So although, I mean, uh, you, you know, it's interest important, but the perceived interest are even more important in determining people's uh, action and behavior. Where does idea come from? This is from uh, idea market. Now I can divide three levels uh, of idea market. First is uh, uh, academic market. That's mainly uh, ideas produced by those uh, uh, scholars, philosophers, thinkers, theorists. You know, this is a, we can call it a, uh, idea creation. Second level is uh, uh, more like uh, communication uh, for idea, As, like uh, publishers and other meters, teachers, uh, they do this job. That is, uh, communicate ideas, and, uh, or like how you can say that it's a second-hand dealer uh, of idea. A third level is uh, implementation. Uh, this is much depend on politicians, policymakers, uh, uh, government advisors, uh, who will implement, uh, implement ideas developed, developed by scholars and uh, 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 theories. Uh, like America, you know, uh, funding of America was actually uh, implemented of ideas developed by philosophers like uh, 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 those uh, enlight uh, Enlightenment scholars and by American uh, founding fathers. And uh, uh, now come to about China. I think it's uh, uh, in past, uh, uh, since 1949, you know, near the uh, first, first three decades, there was uh, no real market idea. Is the whole market for ideas were closed down. Only Chairman Moore uh, 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 could decide what people uh, should say, uh, even think. There was a totally no idea. That was why that caused a big disaster. A disaster that is like a great leap forward campaign and also cultural revolution. We can imagine that if there was a market for ideas, that the people could express their own ideas. That kind of uh, uh, tragedy uh, couldn't happen. Uh, because uh, uh, once even government launched this campaign, like uh, a great for, uh, 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 leap forward, there will be some criticism. And uh, when people uh, see all these uh, negative uh, results, I think uh, uh, they will rethink. Uh, they would rethink, uh, probably we should not continue this. But because of uh, uh, no market for ideas, so this kind of uh, movement could continue, uh, caused so big a uh, uh, disaster. And uh, uh, after reform, uh, uh, China began to open a uh, market for ideas that we could uh, uh, discuss and express different ideas. So this is particularly true for economics. Uh, 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 during 1980s and 90s, I think most economists 
uh, could express their ideas about economic reform. But certainly, there are still uh, very uh, restricted uh, uh, um, for those other uh, social scientists, including uh, 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 political scientists. Uh, it, it was difficult for them to express idea. But for economists, it was uh, uh, very, very different. The idea, many economic reform policy was implemented after long uh, uh, discuss among uh, economists. I can give you uh, 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 my personal example. That about uh, in your mention, that's price reform. Uh, actually, in early 1980s, government already began to recognize <coughs> that the price should be reformed because uh, that time existing price was not correct. Some higher. Some too, some too high, some too low. So your profitability was not determined by your uh, decision, your effort, but determined by government side, uh, artificial side uh, prices. So government uh, realized we must change this. But they also hold the idea that is uh, government can set right price. Although current price is not right, by, but by uh, uh, administrative uh, judgment, government could make price uh, right. Uh, but for a long time, it was difficult to implement that reform because uh, government couldn't get right uh, calculation. Although they organized the Center for Price Reform, uh, you appointed a big computer, and they also input and output table to calculate what is the right price. Uh, but they couldn't do that. They couldn't get a uh, 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 result. Then my, I began to do research on price reform in late 1983. Uh, first conclusion I got is the uh, right price could be set by government, could be set by government, could only be determined by market competition. So if China wants to have a right price, we must uh, abolish this planned uh, system. We must introduce market competition. Supply demand determine uh, price. Uh, second is uh, how to go from this uh, official price system to market price system. My idea was just uh, we could do that uh, by introducing mar uh, market as a margin. Like first, we fix all those planned quarter. With the planned quarter, uh, output input could be uh, 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 transacted at official price. But all of uh, 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 quarter, both output and input, should be uh, transacted at a market price. So we have uh, two tracks, that's a planned track and uh, a market track. Then gradually, we enlarge this market track because the uh, planned track uh, was fixed. So if we uh, economy develop and more output and more input, the market track will expand it, and the plant track will shrink it. Now, gradually, we will have one track price system, that's the market system. Uh, that uh, idea was proposed in 1984, early 1984. Then 
because that time it was uh, relatively free to talk about this uh, 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 press reform. I attended a conference which called uh, 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 Muganshan uh, Conference, which mainly uh, uh, for young economists to attend. And then I, I talked about my idea at this conference. And then gradually, more and more people uh, were convinced, convinced by uh, my ideas. Then later, central government leaders accept this and uh, then become a policy. That was in early 1985. So, dual track price approach uh, was officially implemented uh, in January 1985. Then it took uh, about uh, uh, five years, that is, uh, yeah, seven years, by the 1992, uh, 1993, most prices were, uh, reform were completed. That is, uh, a planned track uh, disappeared, or, uh, 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 or market track or, uh, do uh, dominated most transactions. So this example shows that uh, really, if uh, government like people, uh, including economists, to express their ideas, now they, can, they could find you know, right way to do reform. Uh, now come to today, I think today is more difficult to express ideas. The market for ideas is more closed you know, than uh, 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 two decades or one decade ago. Uh, I think that is uh, uh, probably not good for China. Uh, our government uh, uh, already, our Communist Party already proposed that China need to have uh, some modern, uh, 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 need a modernization of uh, government governance. But what is uh, modernization? What is modern governance? And also, a uh, government uh, uh, proposed to build a rule of law system. But, uh, how to do that? If a government uh, do not allow people, scholars, to freely discuss this, it's very, very difficult. So I think it's uh, uh, very, very uh, important today, as uh, I think uh, Lin Wang and Coase argue, argue that it's crucial for China to have a free market for ideas. Uh, finally, I'd like to uh, see uh, uh, some particular ideas, I think, uh, uh, which is wrong, uh, or I call idea traps, in my article published in the Cato uh, Journal. Uh, like the first like is, uh, some people think, oh, China has been successful because China had its own model, or its China model. And this idea is wrong. If China, if people believe this uh, uh, so-called China model, that means China do not need to do any further uh, uh, big reform, particularly do not need to do any political and legal reform, because the current model is good enough for China to continue to, uh, to grow. I think this is uh, not right. China has been successful not because China has done very differently from uh, other countries, but just because China has followed uh, the logic of the market. That is the development of uh, private sector, rise of entrepreneurs, and uh, also uh, liberalization of a uh, 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 price system, and also openness uh, to outside. 
A second idea like is a state sector is a foundation for communist parties ruling. And this is also a wrong idea. Uh, if you look at China, why communist party is still very strong? Right? Because China introduced the private sector. And if you look at, uh, compare the uh, Northeast China and uh, uh, Southeast, it's so different. Northeast uh, always make big trouble for government. Uh, Southeast uh, is so, uh, not so big trouble. Really, the Northeast economy is currently still dominated by state sector. So there are a lot of uh, uh, unemployment problem and also other social problem. Uh, third idea, uh, something like uh, uh, China could uh, continue its economic growth uh, even without uh, uh, political and legal reform. I think this is also wrong idea. Today, I think it's, uh, in the past, uh, economic liberalization is, was enough because China was a catch-up economy. And there was so disequilibrium in economy. You, if you give a, a little bit of freedom to people, who would, uh, you know, people would do their business, the economy could develop. Today, Chinese economy growth much depends on innovation. Innovation is quite different from what I call upcharge. Upcharge, you know, is very short-term, uh, less assessment. But innovation is a very long uh, uh, process, a big assessment. That's only when people have a long, long horizon. That is, they know even 10 years, 20 years, what I do today, I will get. And then they will have incentive to do innovation. So current Chinese system, economic system, can only encourage people to do upcharge and not the innovation. But without the innovation, I think it would be difficult for China, for China's economy to grow. Uh, it even uh, not as high as before, even at like 5%, I think it's still uh, very, very difficult. And uh, there's also some uh, ideas uh, I think uh, is not correct. Like it's, uh, some people argue that, yeah, when government control lots of resources, if government unlimited, uh, government would be most powerful. That is also a wrong idea. The most powerful government is not unlimited government, but uh, limited government. If you look at the history, particularly like uh, uh, British history, before Gloria Revolution, King of Britain couldn't borrow enough money. The reason was nobody believed him. Uh, nobody believed him. But after the Glory Revolution, this, you know, this is a, uh, and after the Glory Revolution, you know, that because it's a uh, 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 king and the government were limited by constitution, so people began to trust them. So they could get a lot of money, and then they. When they fight against uh, France and other countries, they won this war. You know, you know this research, uh, uh, like Wengeister uh, 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 and uh, North, they did this research. I think it's very important. So I mean, the, there are a lot of uh, bad ideas in China, which is, many people believe that. But I think it's a very, very uh, 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 dangerous for uh, economic uh, and political change in future. So this is a really call for free market uh, for ideas. And like, really like academic people and other people to uh, uh, discuss and uh, to compete 
uh, 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 in their ideas. And also, I'd like to mention one point. That is, uh, uh, I think is, uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, talk, uh, talk a little bit about uh, practice market. Uh, that is uh, uh, idea implementation. In 1980s, uh, 1980s, 90s, local government of China enjoyed considerable autonomy to do their reform. And this is also very, very important. If central government and local government to do their reform uh, by experiment, that would be also dangerous for China because China is so big. If there are just centrally and top-down design policy uh, to be implemented uh, nationwide, uh, in most cases, uh, it cannot be very successful. So competition between different local government, I think, also important. It's important part of uh, 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 market uh, for ideas. And uh, yeah, so I just uh, conclude. Okay. Yeah, I think it's uh, all social change, human uh, uh, progress are driven by new ideas. Uh, uh, no new idea, no change. And second uh, argument I gave that is uh, new idea are developed through free market for ideas. And no free market, no market for ideas, no future, good future of China. So that is a, uh, a messenger I like to send here. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Wei Ying, and I, I apologize for the. Thank you. I apologize for the glitch there. Uh, we can have a good discussion on these topics after our next speaker, who is Ning Wang, who is a senior fellow at the Ronald Coase Institute. He's a graduate of Beijing University and the University of Chicago, and he's also the co-author with Ronald Coase of the book, How China Became Capitalist, uh, along with uh, Wei Ying's book. I think it's uh, among the best books explaining uh, Chinese growth and reform. Please help me welcome uh, Ning. Good, good afternoon. Uh, very pleased to join Wayne here today to speak for the role, uh, the determining role of the market for ideas for China's future. Um, <clears throat> the market for ideas uh, as a concept uh, in Chinese uh, was introduced uh, by uh, Ronald Coase in um, his book, uh, How China Became Capitalist, we co-authored in 2012. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it quickly won acceptance among academics and the media in China. Um, and in the past several years, our argument has been picked up and uh, further developed in China most consistently and uh, prominently by none other than our speaker today, uh, Wei Yin. Um, so <clears throat> for me, uh, for a scholar, you know, nothing is more satisfying to, to see his ideas uh, have some, some impact. The Chinese translation of our book, uh, here I have a copy, uh, was published in January 2013 uh, with, for those who can read Chinese, is a quite, quite different title. Uh, so you've translated back into English, the Chinese title is uh, China Under Reform. China's Road to Market Economy, uh, that the Chinese publisher um, had to erase capitalist from the title is an act of uh, self-censorship. 
uh, a delicate art of compromise between reality and integrity, between the pressure of power and the pursuit of truth, a critical skill of survival in society where a free market for ideas doesn't exist. Nonetheless, the contents and the argument of the book are kept intact. A major argument, certainly not the only one, that Professor Coase and I put forward in the book is that the future of China critically hinges upon whether it can embrace a free market for ideas. Uh, this is what we wrote in the book, uh, quote, as remarkable as the Chinese market transformation is, capitalism with Chinese capital characteristics is impoverished by the lack of a free market for ideas. This de deficiency has become the most restrictive bottleneck in China's economic and social development. Ever since the start of economic reform, the Chinese government has been persistently calling for the emancipation of the mind. But nothing is more effective than an active market for ideas in freeing people's minds. Indeed, without this, any emancipation of the mind is doomed. The creative minds of the Chinese people and their inventive power have been underexploited. This is unfortunate since capitalism with Chinese characteristics could definitely be more innovative and more driven by quality rather than quantity. As the largest producer of PhD in the world, China could have contributed much more to the growth of human knowledge. In today's world, new products and industries, novel ideas and practices, flexible and innovative organizations and institutions urgently need to tackle global challenges, from poverty and disease to war, from energy conservation to water shortage to environmental protection. We simply cannot afford to set aside the human potential of one-fifth of humanity. Among many factors, we singled out the market for ideas or the lack of market for ideas as China's most vital defect that was a novel and a quite unconventional position. So when our book manuscript was under review, we were censured, uh, attacked it, exactly for our overarching stress on the market for ideas. At that time, many Chinese experts placed their emphasis on democratization, on China's opening up in the political system and the endorsement of multi-party political competition to replace the party state as the most critical challenge for China to move forward. When and how China will embrace democracy and whether the Chinese Communist Party can survive democratization were the main questions asked about China's political future. That we did not engage ourselves in these questions certainly disappointed some. Uh, but without any illusion to please everyone or under any pressure to maximize readership uh, when, we read, when we were writing our book, we stuck to our position and provided a different diagnosis of the main flaw of the Chinese market economy. That is, China by that time has developed a robust market for goods, but it lacks a market for ideas. So for China to become a normal country, 
not an advanced, just a normal country, we argued it has to embrace, or rather re-embrace, the market for ideas. Because the market for ideas flourished at the time of Confucius, before the first emperor of Qin unified China. Moreover, the idea has since remained an everlasting inspiration for the Chinese literati class and accepted as a golden benchmark to judge the merits and the legitimacy of political regimes. A thousand years ago, the first emperor of Song dynasty set a rule that no scholars or critics of government should be killed. Even Mao himself, who executed many critics of his policy and imprisoned millions of intellectuals, admitted the need to let 100 flowers bloom and 100 schools contend. Uh, in contrast, multi-party competition had virtually no precedent, pre precedent in Chinese history. Indeed, the, Chinese, the very Chinese word for party, Dang, uh, has a strong negative connotation in traditional Chinese political thinking. Uh, forming a party to pursue one's own self-interest. Uh, this is how democracy works, but that has been consistently condemned as violating, violating justice and undermining social harmony, harmony in, Chi in Chinese political thinking. In addition to this historical factor unique to China, there's another general reason for us to prioritize the market for ideas over democracy. The market for ideas is more fundamental than democracy. Indeed, the working of democracy assumes the presence of a well-functioning market for ideas. Without a free market for ideas, democracy inevitably degenerates into a rule of majority. Once people used to take the rule of majority as the triumph of democracy, democracy is at a serious risk, and the tyranny of majority is on the horizon. If society with a free market, in society with a free market for ideas, every member enjoys a right to create new ideas, share them with others, to criticize and debate ideas in coffee house, tea rooms, classrooms, newspapers, at seminars, conferences, forums, on TV programs, on the internet, to promote and defend ideas one endorses, to ignore or repudiate those one finds misleading or wrong to be inspired and informed by ideas to come up with still better ideas. Such right exists prior to the birth of the state or any government. Before the rise of politics, before the birth of any state, people must have learned to think, to record, to record his thinking and put down as ideas. If natural right ever exists, the right to think independently, communicate freely, must count as one. So it follows that a free market for ideas is a basic human right, a natural right as a human being. The market for ideas belong to a special family of human institutions which had flourished before the rise of any government because their presence and operation, while in crude forms and primitive manners, must be crucial for man to be able to rise up from jungles to start human civilization. Yesterday, I went to the Museum of Natural History with my daughter 
and I uh, was an uh, exhibit on human origins there. We spent a lot of time. My daughter really enjoyed it, me too. And I became even more convinced that a primitive market for ideas gave modern human species a critical advantage over other contending species uh, around 30,000 years ago. The fact that their presence is, open, is often intangible, their nature abstract, their working opaque and complex is a major reason that they are often misunderstood by the public and particularly misconceived by political power as a threat. Besides the market for ideas, other members of this family of human inventions include the market itself, uh, the law, money, and language, and so on. With the rise of centralized state bureaucracy, they all fell prey to naked political power. Almost without exceptions, they got enslaved, maimed, and deformed in the hands of political power, if they were lucky at all to survive at all. After enlightenment, and particularly after the rise of what Adam Smith called the commercial society, the West entered what Deirdre McCloskey recently called the bourgeoisie era. And only then did these institutions gradually uh, start to liberate themselves from the cloud of po political power and regain their independence. This process, of course, is never even, and is still ongoing even here in the, in, in the West, and subject to fluctuation and even reversal. Um, political power, of course, is, not, is far from the only enemy of the market for ideas. Uh, Professor uh, John William, uh, our speaker today, mentioned that in, in his talk. Um, I had a chance to review his uh, PowerPoint uh, before today's talk. Um, so I'm going to add one more factor. Uh, actually, William today emphasized that in his talk, that bad ideas, uh, uh, that bad ideas are not only wrong, but hard to disprove, and thus tend to cast a long and dark shadow. I give one example. It might be controversial, controversial to some of you in the audience. <clears throat> anyway, the, market, the concept of perfect competition in mainstream economics is such an example. It, have, it has helped to breed pervasive misunderstanding of the nature and the role of knowledge in the working of the market system. Perfect competition presumes perfect information, but few, if any, human institutions or practices can ever be perfect. For someone with sufficient common sense, it is hard to even imagine information being perfect. Numerous models, however, based upon perfect competition and other concepts in economics, such as equilibrium, may work well on paper, but they bear little relevance to the real world. They are what Professor Coase called blackboard economics. If they are adopted as the guiding light for public policy, disaster is sure to follow. Shortly after How China Became Capitalist was published, Jim Dong uh, kindly arranged a book forum here in this very room. Uh, this is what I said then, I believe I still hold on to today. Uh, quote, China's embrace of both its history and globalization leads us to believe that the Chinese capitalism, which just started its long journey, will be different. This is desirable not just for China, but for the West and everyone else as well. It is also desirable for the global market economy. Today, 
biodiversity is recognized as vital for sustaining our natural environment. Institutional diversity plays a similar role in keeping human society resilient. Capitalism will be much more robust if it's not a monopoly of the West, but flourishes in societies with different cultures, religions, history, histories, and political systems. While trade in global market for goods make war too expensive to fight, a global market for ideas can accommodate and thrive on the clash of ideas, but steers us away from the clash of civilizations. Thank you. Thanks very much. We have time for questions uh, and answers. If you have a question, uh, I, I will call on you. Before, before we get to that, uh, Wei Ying wanted to add uh, a, a couple of thoughts. Uh, should be the hottest debate in past few years. Why this could happen? I think one, one reason is that this debate is politically less sensitive than other issues. Also, there, because it's, it's so difficult today to express ideas. So there's many people focus on this issue, industry policy. Simply speaking, you know, Jocelyn supports industry policy. Uh, he thinks that industry policy is most important for China's economic development, not for China, for all other developed countries. My argument is just opposite. Industry policy is just harm, very harmful. Uh, will harm innovation. There are the two reasons. One is uh, it's really innovation is unpredictable. Uh, this is much based on uh, uh, Hayek's idea about uh, uh, a market. Second is uh, uh, incentive problem. I'd like to mention that I think this debate, not just in China, is also worldwide is very, very important in waste. Many, uh, some economists support industry policy, some not. I think that is, we should continue that because this is a continuity of uh, 1930s debate on socialism. Uh, that is, I think, very important. This debate actually reflects two different uh, paradigms. One is the neoclassical paradigm. If you believe neoclassical uh, understanding of market, you will, uh, in most cases, you would support industry policy. If, but if you believe that uh, uh, paradigm developed by Mises and Hayek, you wouldn't uh, 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 trust this industry policy because industry policy is another type of planned economy. So I just draw your attention to this uh, issue, I think that's very, very important. Uh, let's reflect that uh, as a new one sign. Also, I think it's uh, our traditional uh, neoclassical model uh, of market uh, need to be uh, uh, changed. I think we need to integrate more Hayek and Austrian school ideas uh, uh, into our theory, in textbook, and so we can have better understanding of market. Thanks, and just to be to, to clarify, the debate you were having with Justin Lin. Justin Lin was is another one of the, the most prominent economists in China. He was the chief economist of the World Bank for many years, and uh, was also one of the co-founders of the China Center for Economic Research. So let's ask uh, questions. Uh, when I call on you, please identify yourself and your affiliation, and wait for the microphone. We'll take a question beginning right there, please. Thank you. Uh, my name is Charles Kimball. I'm with the Korea Center for International Finance. 
I lived and worked in China from 06 to 09, but I think of myself as an outsider not having been back. Um, it strikes me that the current leadership is the strongest since Deng Xiaoping and that he sort of determines not necessarily will the market for ideas go forward, but many things. Um, he is expected to get another five-year term. Um, I'm worried that he is so strong, he might want another five-year term even beyond that. If he succeeds in getting that, what would that mean for the free market for ideas? Wouldn't that be a significant setback? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, let me say a few words about uh, my papers published in uh, Cato. I gave two dimensions about this issue. Uh, uh, that is, the uh, idea could be right or wrong, and also leadership could be strong and weak. So four by, uh, two by two, we have four combinations. First is uh, strong leaders and right ideas. The worst is strong leaders and bad ideas. So. If we use this framework to look at the whole Chinese history, uh, 2,000 years, uh, even American, and uh, I think it's very powerful to explain. Uh, so come to your question, I think is, uh, yes, I agree with you. Is a uh, current leader is very, very strong. So China's future, I think, much depends on what kind of ideas uh, he has. Uh, I think uh, now there are some controversial yeah, what, uh, in one hand, we have some positive uh, uh, sides that is uh, like uh, argued a government proposed that decisive role of market and also uh, rule, uh, rule of law, some uh, 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 reform and, uh, and uh, modernization of uh, government governors. That is, uh, I think, quite uh, positive. Uh, but also there are some... Uh, negative sides. Uh, I think the anyway, it's very, very important uh, uh, to let people to see, uh, uh, freely express uh, ideas. Otherwise, even you want to do good, but it's so difficult because you don't know what is good. You know, only through debate between different ideas, uh, government can get some consensus, like Deng Xiaoping. Deng Xiaoping let people, first let people talk apart from political issues, for all economic issues, is let people first talk and let local government to do experiment. If they made, uh, proved wrong, we just stopped. If they proved right, we will make it is a central government policy. That is some uh, uh, way of Chinese reform has been uh, going in uh, at Deng Xiaoping and even Jiang Zemin's uh, time. So it's, uh, today, I think, uh, uh, yeah, we face some great uncertainty about uh, field reform. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a question right here. Ken Dillon, Ciencia Press, for Professor Zhang. The source of ideas you've, you, uh, you characterized as being academia, and I'm... Uh, wondering, we know uh, that there are many sources, of, there are many people who have ideas outside of academia, and uh, it's a common mistake in the in, in the press, for instance, to to rely only on academics. 
Uh, and I'm wondering in China, uh, what about uh, the thinkers outside academia? Are they getting a, a, a chance to say what they need to say or what they have to say? And how valuable are their contributions? Uh, yeah, I think that this is a very, very important. Actually, uh, uh, academia got their ideas sometimes because they, you know, uh, 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 listen to ordinary people and they uh, are involved in some social debate in the social issue. That is a raise some question. They then they began to do research, but eventually I think academic idea would be more systematic. So that is why it's more powerful. Uh, for scholars, if we do not really observe a uh, real situation, uh, what real people think and talk, it's uh, difficult to have uh, uh, new ideas. So I think that is, uh, yes, grassroots and outside of academics are very, very important. I also like to end that, uh, uh, you know, in the China, I, I, in my slide, I said, uh, late come advantage, late come advantage. We enjoy that in technology and management, but also ideas. So like, uh, I like to mention three persons that are most important for Chinese economic research. That's uh, American, uh, certainly a long time ago, and that's me. Uh, uh, contemporary time is uh, Hayek, Friedman, and Coase. That's, I think, most three most important persons who affect, whose ideas really affect the Chinese economic reform process. Most Chinese economists accept their ideas. Then we spread in China. And, uh, uh, but I, I also like to emphasize the local market also important because it's, uh, you know, it's uh, for social change. It's different, very different from technical change. Ideas develop, uh, develop in other countries. If you want to apply them to a particular country like China, you need to make it adapted to local situation. So localization of uh, global ideas, I think, also important. That is why we cannot just uh, rely on ideas what developed uh, here. America or other country, we must have our own ideal market. Mm -hmm. Okay, question right there. Uh, hi, I'm Chung Huang, um, Cato intern. Uh, my question was that not only the academic market, but also an implementing market, uh, you have issues such as Guanxi, which is um, government friends, and also you have had two-digit growth rates, but which were lower to one-digit growth rates, and Xi Jinping just called it the Xinjiang Tai or new new normal. So, um, what I believe is that not only from academic markets to the implementation market, uh, you have only one party, the Communist Party. So, I believe it's like a monopoly of idea market. What would be a solution for demonopolizing your your current system? or uh, breaking the Guanxi system that you have for having a freer market? I think, uh, yeah, Deng uh, Xiaoping insists on a uh, one-party system, but he still allowed the local government to do differently. That is, uh, some policy could be decentralized. That's, I think, uh, uh, still very important. So, I mean, even within one-party system, political system, there's still quite a big uh, uh, room for uh, local government to do their own uh, 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 experiment. 
Uh, but today it seems uh, our power is more centralized. So that is also something I worry about that. Yeah, if we just have a centrally implement every policy, that is very, very dangerous. That's the idea about planned economy. You know, market economy I mean, uh, you know, is a diversified decision. So even for reform, I think it's, uh, yeah, implementation, uh, local implementation, local competition is very important. Okay, question here. Good afternoon, my name is Todd Wiggins. Uh, I wanted to ask you in particular, Mr. Wang, uh, there was something about your, the closure of your presentation that maybe you could expound upon if you have any perspective on what would ultimately, how ideas are going to play out in terms of military buildup, because a lot of those great ideas are being applied towards building of uh, military, uh, such as uh, I've read about jets at China's developing and about aircraft carriers and what's going on in South China Sea, et cetera. So how do you see this playing out in the long run? Will there be more cooperation between U.S. and China, or ultimately will we, be in, we end up exchanging some major conflict which could end up uh, causing a great deal of death and destruction? So how can we work this out? I certainly don't have time for that question. Even if I have, a, even if I have an answer, I couldn't just deliver that answer to you in one minute. I have, uh, but I'm uh, compared with we, I'm a little bit more optimistic about this prospect of a, a free market for ideas in China. Uh, and uh, but just to your particular specific question, uh, I. It's hard for me to imagine that you know China and the U.S. Are going to start some kind of a, you know military conflict. Uh, I think, of course, I mean things that I couldn't imagine may happen, uh, but just you, Professor Coase always said, never underestimate human stupidity. Uh, but if you, you, so, that's that's the position I I, I take now. It's, it's not going to happen if you know people. If, on both sides have some little bit, you know, common sense, but, you know, who knows. Uh, but as academics, I think we should promote, uh, as I said in my concluding uh, statement, promote the, the clash of ideas instead of, you know, as a replacement, as a substitute for military, you know, uh, conflict. And I think, you know, particularly now, China is becoming more and more innovative. Uh, and in certain sectors, China is becoming a leading uh, player in the global uh, 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 stage, uh, but certainly China is far beyond, far is lacking <coughs> still compared with where it should be, given its you know potential. You know, China has one fifth, one fourth, one fifth of human population, and also Chinese highly educated now with more and more PhDs produced in any other country. So I think, you know, in the long run, I think uh, China and, uh, and, the, and the rest of, of the world uh, have to, you know, peacefully uh, coexist. I think this is, China never gave up that. I think that always is a fundamental principle in China's uh, policy of development, even <clears throat> either at the, you know, government level or among the, you know, common people, normal people like, like, like myself and, and uh, Professor Zhang. That you know, uh, uh, 
peace is a precondition for uh, prosperity, prosperity for China. And that was the case in the past 30, 40 years, and still true today. So I don't think it's in the interest of China uh, to engage any kind of military conflict, not only with, with states, but with you know, small labors like uh, uh, Vietnam or, Thai or other you know, countries that China has uh, disputes with about the, uh, the, uh, the territory in uh, South China Sea. I think China is, uh, is, has been pretty uh, – of course, I'm not an expert on you know, military policy or, 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 or what is called security, but I think you know, China has been quite uh, restrained from uh, doing anything provocative politically and militarily. Uh, of course, I mean China has. <clears throat> think about compared. Think about China is now you know number two in terms of you know GDP, but China still has a lot of as you know uh, border issues with most, if not all, its labors. Uh, I don't know when. It's, it's very hard for you if you are if China is as assertive as U.S. was. I think those issues could be have already. Resolved one way or the other, so I don't think China has been. That's my 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 perception. Uh, I think China doesn't want to use military force, uh, but it has to somehow. You know, China was very weak for many centuries, many years, um, and that has been a big trouble for China itself. So China, this build up in military, military recently military build up, I think is understandable. But we need somehow control who going to use, you know, who has the the right, the, I mean, the uh, the power to to say declare war in China, and with the the recent rise of this national nationalism in China, I'm a little bit worried some about this. But I think you know, uh, I don't think it's in anyone's interest in China to start uh, you know military conflict. I just want to say that uh, China has suffered a uh, lot from no ideal market for international relations. It, you know, it's very difficult uh, to discuss uh, diplomatic international relations issues uh, among academic people. So that is, uh, I think, make government sometimes uh, very difficult really to get uh, correct uh, 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 solution for international uh, conflicts. And so that is, I think, one lesson China should uh, uh, learn. Uh, you know, today China has a, a, a government that began to pay much attention to uh, we call, you know, think tank, like a Cato Institute, yeah, think tank. But probably is, uh, in China, so-called think tank is uh, financed by government and just uh, do some research which come government already decided uh, 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 direction. So that is, uh, I think, is uh, not good enough. Yeah, we need a think, think tank, but I do not think that kind of think tank, we, uh, 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 we really need, I think, independent, the financed, independently express their ideas, this kind of think tank, not the current uh, think tank. The current think tank that like okay, government already decides uh, what kind of uh, 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 relation with the other country. We have already have policy, 
the, all these think tank or scholars just uh, collect uh, supporting material for government or just give a technical details of how to do with these issues. I think, I think it's uh, really not good for China. If China, I, I, I think the idea market for international relations is more open, I think government could benefit quite a lot. Take a question here and then a couple more. Uh, thank you. My name is William Maluski. I lived in China for 21 years and recently moved back. What do both of you think of the new NGO law that's going into operation January 1st? I think, uh, yeah, simply speaking, uh, well, no uh, NGOs, which is uh, not political sensitive, still have a good chance to develop in China. Uh, but for those uh, government think they are political sensitive or political NGO would be more difficult. Uh, the problem is uh, very diffi uh, difficult to make distinction between political and non-political, like for the foundation. Is it political or not political? Uh, so that is, uh, I think, uh, very uh, uh, difficult. Uh, so I hope uh, government will have more positive uh, 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 methods to solve some problem. You know, general law is there, but how to implement those, how to explain this law is more important. Yeah, right there. Uh, very interesting talk. Do you see the differences between the PRC and Taiwan as a difference of degree or as a difference in kind in terms of the uh, freedom of expression and freedom of ideas? Sorry, only the, uh, between uh, Taiwan and mainland China? Yo. Could you repeat the question, please? Do you see the differences between the uh, PRC and Taiwan as different in terms of freedom of expression and its consequence in the economic and political marketplace as a difference of degree or as a difference in kind? Uh, yes, I think uh, currently there, there is a big difference. And uh, uh, certainly, you know, China, uh, yeah, Taiwan you now become much, much open. It's uh, easier to do, uh, to say anything, you know, to my knowledge. So, so is Taiwan a, a, a model for the, the uh, where you would like to see the PRC go in terms of freedom of expression? Oh, uh, uh, I do not like that some model or not model, but I think I'm human being. We will share some, you know, common uh, value. And also even change or some, uh, 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 I think, uh, uh, sequence, uh, no matter which country, uh, uh, which region, we need to follow. Like is, uh, my idea about the political reform, first the important is the rule of law state. That's very, before we can have a real political uh, 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 democratic system. You know, if this uh, sequence is reversed, we may have more trouble. So all successful experience show that, like uh, Britain. First, they built this rule of law system through several hundred years, right? Then from uh, early, uh, uh, like 1832, they began to do introduce democratic system, that is the election system. That also took about uh, a century. 
Yeah, so it's a main, uh, Taiwan, I think, is certainly, Taiwan's experience uh, very, very helpful for mainland China and uh, 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 to do um, something, I think, yeah, China can, I mean, mainland China can learn from Taiwan quite a lot. So we, so we can also learn from other countries. So some people would like, oh, China is different. Yeah, every country is different. You know, it's uh, even American, Britain, France, all different. You know, no, like people. Uh, we're all different. All people here are not two exactly the same. But we are human beings, that is we know. If some pig come, we do not, that's not a human being, right? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, as a, as a human being, no matter which country, and we need to share something. Yeah, we can learn each other. Taiwan, uh, mainland China certainly can learn from Taiwan, not necessarily just to follow Taiwan. In front, Jim Dorn. Thanks. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, what I'm wondering is whether or not the use of the word capitalism makes sense with respect to China. Uh, capitalism, I really don't like the word myself because it's more of a motive word. It doesn't, people understand different things with capitalism. They understand exploitation rather than free markets and so forth. So is there another term you might use? Uh, I've used market Taoism, uh, and I also like market liberalism. And I certainly agree that uh, limited government is much more important as a first step than democracy. Um, I had lunch a couple weeks ago with uh, Long Yongtu, uh, who is in charge of the oh. WTO accession for China. And we asked him, um, at the end of this year, China's supposed to be designated a market economy uh, status uh, under the WTO agreements. And they asked whether he was uh, concerned about that. And he said, no, I'm not concerned about that at all. We don't care about that because we're a socialist market economy. Uh, so what, what might that mean? It might mean different things to different people. But uh, so I'd like to see, I know your book was titled, uh, you know, Channels Capitalists and so forth. And you had some feedback from that. But I'd like to see what's your impression of using the word capitalism if maybe we should think of some different term. In China, the term capitalism is so much uh, associated with Marxism. So, and of course, Marx was the guy who coined that term. Um, so it's, that, that's why we couldn't, I mean, the publisher couldn't use that, you know, that word in the title, in the book. Uh, not just in the title, in the book, you know, the capitalism either replaced by market economy or market system was, you know, and we have basically have no objection. We, I, mean, I guess, very much in the same position with you, that you know, capitalism is a, is a too noted a term with too many different uh, uh, interpretations. Um, but China is always, as you point out in that article, uh, that China had a, a free. Commercial, had a free commercial society, not as a free, could be freer, but certainly much freer compared with the West at the same you know, time period. And uh, so for China to embrace this free com uh, commercial society, this Wu Wei or that I think had a very strong appealing to the, to the Chinese people. Uh, not Capitalism 
you always get a lot of trouble, unnecessary trouble, when you use that term capitalism. So we try to, at least myself, try to stay away from that controversial term and to speak with terms that are more appealing uh, uh, to the Chinese people. In my view, uh, socialism is not compatible with the market economy. So if you want to have uh, something called a social, um, socialist market economy, it's uh, very, very difficult. Uh, you will have a lot of uh, trouble. Uh, so when China, we say socialist uh, uh, market economy, that is only for ideological, political reason. But eventually, we can only choose one. Mm. We cannot choose both. OK, we have time for at least one more question. And we'll take it right here. In the, in the aisle, please. Hey, hello, I'm Jiwang Gong from the Center for, for the National Interest. Could you uh, speak up a little bit, please? Yeah, my question is regarding the censorship. Uh, like, on principle or in a macroscopic level, I can understand that having a freedom of expression or free circulation of ideas has more opportunities in terms of economics and politics and all other strategies. But taking back onto the realistic and microscopic level, I believe that there have been some benefits that Chinese government has been cherished through the censorship. For example, like when I was studying in Beidai, actually, I met a lot of students saying that with like Weibo or like Weixin or those medias or IT firms would have been survived if there wasn't any censorship to Google or Facebook. So in a like realistic and microscopic level, I see that those censorship have been actually benefiting some firms in China and like real economy. So I was wondering like, would, would there be any more like realistic incentives for Chinese government to ease the control of these censorships with having felt those realistic benefits while those benefits from ease, easing those controls will be very virtual or like very theoretical, which they cannot feel to their skin. Anybody on the benefits of censorship? I could benefit from censoring some people who <laughs> criticize me, but go ahead. <clears throat> I think, you know, the, right, right now, that's the time, you know, people waiting for calls from Stockholm. Uh, that's the time the Chinese people and the Chinese leaders are going to got a lot of disappointment. And I think <clears throat> they realize, um, the Chinese people, the, you know, pr professors and, and students as well in China realize pretty well that without uh, uh, real radical reform in the political system to allow a free market for ideas, China really, when I say China, I mean the Chinese scientists, your know, scientists working in China, they really don't have much chance to, to get the Nobel Prize because they couldn't as we indicated, they couldn't devote to real research. They have to, um, you know, the, the government controls funding. So you have to do the questions, you know, suggested or even uh, put forward to you by the government. If you are not allowed to pursue your own desire as a scholar to study the kind of questions that interest you, that inspire you, how could you come up with any real you know, scientific innovation. It's, it's impossible. And that, that fact, I think, has been realized by more and more people in China, even the Chinese leaders, including Xi Jinping. Uh, <clears throat> take this opportunity back to differ from, I think, a lot of assumptions people have about Xi Jinping. I, I have no 
you know, inside you know, private information about Xi Jinping. But I think he, he's not a strong leader uh, against common perception. Deng was a strong leader without holding any official, uh, official position. She instead appointed him to be the head of one working group after another. That reveals his insecurity. Um, his predecessor, like Jiang and Hu, could live in the shadow of Deng Xiaoping. Xi Jinping couldn't. China changed, the world changed, and new challenges China faces now. So he doesn't know what to do. What do you, and in a, in a society in China today, he just, you know, keep hold on to his power. But at the same time, this is a fact I think uh, most Chinese people know, I'm not sure whether it's news to this audience, that the top Chinese leaders, they hold monthly meeting. It's called a study group. They invite a professor, say, on constitutional law or on international trade to give them a lecture. I don't know. When you have, have you ever been? No? No, okay. Um, they, of course, you know, they select the, the, the right kind of professors. But they, they, China is called a government of, of learning or government of studying. So they, they, pretty, they feel pretty insecure what to do for them in terms of not only just policy, but you know, where China going to be, say, 10 years, 20 years down the road. So I think this, is a, this gives a lot of opportunity for, for the market for ideas. But somehow they wrongly perceive the market for ideas as a threat to their, to their you know, uh, legitimacy. But it's not. Uh, so we have a lot of work to do to convince the Chinese government, and, and most Chinese people, they already embrace that idea, market for ideas. So in Weibo, in internet, you see that everywhere. Uh, but I think it's, but I'm, I'm not surprised that the Chinese government, you know, it's going to take more time for them to realize, to embrace the market for ideas. But I'm still optimistic. Although I like to say that uh, uh, even within China, different uh, departments of government have different interests, different ideas. So, uh, you know, some uh, 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 censorship or media control was implemented by this government, but maybe not happening uh, 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 for other government. Uh, but today's situation is really a prep go that department is more powerful uh, than uh, uh, before. Thank you both for coming and joining us today and exchanging your ideas. Thank you all for joining us, and please help me in thanking our speakers.